SEN, Melbourne's home of footy, Afternoons with Francis Leach, for Volvo, Swedish luxury, design and innovation. And Carlos Alberto Diego is here to talk the world game with me on 11.16 SEN. Do we have to today? <laughs> given up on football, Carlos. It's broken my heart one too many times. Have faith. We've broken up. Francis, have faith <laughs> because, you know, at your lowest, darkest point, and, you know, I'm a doggy supporter, I'm a West Ham supporter, at the darkest, darkest point, there's some light in the horizon, right? The light and, on the hill. Yeah, and I'm, the light on the hill for you is when it all, Season's you know, over soon. Yeah, 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 season's over, is. season's over. And, uh, and you win the FA Cup. You know, you know, Arsenal do something to mess with your mind again. And uh, Wenger will look really good at the end. And if he looks good at the end, that's when he'll walk, Francis. He will not walk if people are screaming for his uh, resignation. He won't walk because he won't do it on any, everyone else's terms. Uh, but when he goes, he'll go on his terms. And let's hope for you, your sake and Arsenal's sake, and not because he's a horrible manager, because he's done really, really well over a long period of time. Not won things, but he's, it's, a, it's a, success, a successful club well, with a lot of money. he's won six FA Cups and three titles. And, but, oh, you know, no, let's no. face it, FA Cups since 2000 when Manchester United didn't even turn up. They're like kissing your sister cups, really. Don't be like but, that. <laughs> but, but I, you know, one, thing, one good thing, though, Francis, is that Manchester United have done the heavy lifting for you because they did everything wrong once Alex Ferguson left after 25 years. And they messed it up for about three years, and now they're starting to get back on track with Jose Mourinho. Arsenal, they're bored, and I'm, I'm sure they're fine men on their board who know what they're doing. They would have looked at that and said, let's not make the same mistakes that Manchester United did, and we'll go and get the right manager. The guy, the biggest ego in the change room, will get a bit of steel in this club, and we won't miss a beat. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. When they wake up all falling asleep into their brandy at (laughs) halftime, thinking 1-0 up, and then they wake up with a hangover in the ballroom after that game, and they're 5-1 down again. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. Um, 27 past two. So this is us in Wenger. This is an interesting story beyond football because it's – it's about you know, it's about someone who is an absolute icon of a particular club, whether it's a football club, an AFL club, rugby league club, like like the Norm Smith of, of Arsenal. That's the best way I can describe him. He's the legend of the club, um, and the, the coming, the parting of the ways is going to be soon. So have a listen to him after that second consecutive five-one defeat <laughs> to Bayern Munich. My future is not at stake here. What is uh, important is in these kind of games, you want to win and uh, you want your fans to to go home and happy with the performance of the players even if we don't qualify and I think tonight uh, Dorothy didn't give us even that right you know to go home and feel we have to, uh, produced the performance that we wanted because he killed the game and the result. So Arsene Wenger is blaming the referee and the assistant referee who uh, gave Laurent Koscielny a red card for tripping Robin Lewandowski in the box. The box is interesting on the rule of that one. So uh, if you haven't seen the footage, uh, Koscielny and Lewandowski are going to the ball. Lewandowski's obviously got beyond him. He's going to yep. be in on goal. And we've seen a lot of fouls in the knee, in the box, which end as penalties. But that one was a red card because he was the last defender and he denied it. Clear, yeah, clear goal-scoring opportunity. That's an interpretation of the referees. And you can argue one way or the other. It looked soft anyway, but it was a penalty. Uh, if you watched it on, in slow motion, we get the benefit of that. Uh, Koscielny did lean into him or did pull him a bit and it took him off the balance of that of the the balance of the ball where he was running onto it and he just that's when the you know the uh, the striker as they always do they just dive and milk it but it was always a penalty uh the red card well that's arguable but 
but you can argue either way. So it wasn't clear-cut, as Arsene Binger said, he killed the game. Uh, what disappointed me, though, with Arsenal, they played very well in that first half. Theo Walcott's goal was a world-class goal. Uh, they were well and truly in that game until, what, you know, quite early in that second half, until that penalty happened, they got the red card. But then you just scratch the surface with this Arsenal side and they fall apart. And their defending after that was deplorable. And you can say, oh, the game changed, this and that. But you can still play at a high level with 10 men, even against Bayern Munich. If you've got a resilient bunch of players who are playing for their manager and, uh, and they're really, really focused, a team like Arsenal too, they love the heroics. They've done that before. But uh, especially against big opponents. I was shocked when I saw that scoreline this morning because that was a sort of game where Arsenal could have maybe beaten Bayern Munich 3-0 and just missed out. I mean, it would have been a heroic glor- failure. We're good it, at that. It, yeah, yeah, the glorious <laughs> failure they would have had. But at the same time, they would have shown that, no, we are damn good players. We can be galvanised when we want to. But they didn't show that at all. And no. that's a worry for me. And, you know, and the worry also is if I think Arsene Wenger will make his own decision and he won't make it if everyone's calling for his head. He just won't resign when people are telling him to. Scott is in Craigieburn. You can join us too. Nine four two nine eleven sixteen. Hello. Afternoon, amigo. Afternoon, Francis. Hey, hey, Scott. Got a bit of pep in my step this week, even though in victory loss. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I've been a Liverpool fan, Francis. You know, you get a pep in your step when you beat uh, Arsenal twice in the season. Oh, every, everyone's doing that now, Scotty. <laughs> Getting only, back of a long queue. It's only happened for the first time since ninety nine two thousand. We've only waited a while, anyway. Um, so my favourite part, and this is nothing against you, Francis, my favourite part about uh, Arsenal getting beaten is getting on Arsenal TV and listening to troops. Don't you love it, Francis? Or No, I don't watch it. I've, I've learnt to avoid. I used to obsess about that sort of stuff, watching social media and, <laughs> and you know, and, and the ranting and the, and the hysterics. I just haven't got the energy and the time for it anymore. I just don't look at news now or any of that stuff. What am I going to get out of that? Yeah. Out of watching some grown-up carry on like a four-year-old? It's rather embarrassing, really, Scotty. So no, I don't. <laughs> I don't flail myself with that stuff. I know it's endlessly hilarious for people who, who want to laugh at the Arsenal, but I'm not one of them. So Scott, have they, is Liverpool uh, now out of their slump and ready to, you know, come home with a wet sail with the, in the remaining games? Mate, we are the Robin Hood of the EPL, mate. We, <laughs> we, we, we take, Scotty. We take, we take from the rich, we take from the rich, and we give to the poor. So I'd say Burnley are going to beat us this week. <laughs> Quite possibly, that's a way to work. You shouldn't laugh about Wenger. Klopp might be in the same position in twelve months' time if he uh, doesn't get a bit more consistency and get the best out of this group of Liverpool players because they're so. The expectations have been so high, and I think they've only won twice in two thousand and seventeen. Uh, and they've had some really disappointing performances. So, uh, you know, if you look at their results in the second half or since the turn of the, the year, it's not so unlike some of the performances by Arsenal. So, um, yeah, it doesn't take long for people to turn, or Liverpool fans to turn on their own when they don't uh, perform, that's for sure. Now, before we go to a break and come back and talk about the soccer is what should Arsenal do with Alexis Sanchez? He clearly doesn't want to be there anymore. You've got to let him go. Just let him go. So I mean, and by the way, the thing that Wenger did wrong last week, apparently there was a bust-up at training. The players were upset with the way he was you know, very demonstrative about his frustration, showing it publicly. And the players apparently caught, according to the media reports, I don't, know, I don't really know, but apparently they cornered, cornered him in the change room. They said, that's not good enough, and they had a bit of a bust-up. And so Arsene Wenger dropped him, but only dropped him to the bench. And I they mean, brought him on at half-time. Yeah, well, Chelsea, I tell you, Conte, uh, when uh, he had a, 
stand-up argument with Diego Costa at training. He just dropped him completely out of the squad, never to be seen for a whole week, and until the guy pulled his head in. And, uh, and with uh, Sanchez, they had him on the bench and then rewarded him by playing him when they needed him. So it, it, some bad decisions by someone like Wenger. But then again, Wenger's never appeared to be one of these guys who, uh, who, are, who are really black and white with players. They, he tends to hug them. He tends to you know, cajole them into uh, trying to play his way. And it's worked to a point for a long time, but I think uh, he's run out of that sort of uh, you know, model of uh, managing these days. He has indeed. A 30-man squad named for the two vital World Cup qualifiers coming up in a couple of weeks' time. The first of them is playing Iraq uh, in Tehran. Uh, because obviously we can't play that in Baghdad, yeah. given a security circumstance there. So and we go to a safer place <laughs> in Tehran. Yeah. Well, there is, for those of us old enough, it is curious that the Iraqis yeah. and the Iranians are, are now um, bosom yeah. buddies, but anyway, that's how it goes. Uh, and then uh, the Socceroos versus the UAE, Tuesday, 28th of March in Sydney at the football stadium. Massive games. Yeah. 30 men, some interesting names. The one that stands out like the proverbial yep. uh, is a young man. From Adelaide by the name of Riley McGree. Yep. Played 12 games uh, for Adelaide uh, and came off the bench with a few of those games. Uh, but if you see this kid, he looks like a footballer. At 18, he just looks like a, a natural footballer. And uh, and he's, he's just... He gets on the field. He probably doesn't have to think much. It's very instinctive for him. Uh, I can see why Ange looked at him and said... I like the look of this guy. I'm just going to bring him in and give him a, give him a taste because maybe by the time he's 21, he could be a bloke that I'm relying on quite uh, quite regularly. But I, I love this squad, Francis. I, I love it because it's and uh, and if we get a chance to speak to Ange, you know, uh, not that he'd admit it, but for me, it's a message to who's not there almost, and it's a message to players who might be feeling a little bit. Um, comfortable. You know, comfortable, cosy with uh, the fact that they've been in the squad for a while. Um, it, Who are you thinking of? Matthew Spranovich? Oh, no, well, Matthew's uh, injured at the moment, I believe. And uh, I don't think they've. I think the Chinese league has just started to. Or is close. He's dropped down to the second division yeah. in China and yeah, was asked right. about that. And he said, well, you know, that's not the level of football I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. But I think he's injured. Uh, according to Frant, uh, Ange, uh, during the press conference today, he, he mentioned that he was injured. But, uh, you know, even I think uh, as it's based, who's now in the squad, he's had to wait his turn again. He was in the Asian Cup squad. I mean, Jason Davidson uh, hasn't had a look in for a long time, and now he's starting to play a bit better over in Holland. But he's way behind. Uh, I mean, guys like Brad Smith, who hasn't played all year at Bournemouth, he's in the squad. But uh, I think the message has been sent to him that he needs to start playing. Um, you know, there's uh, Jamie McLaren. He's what's got. Uh, he's starting to score again. He's starting to look good again. But he's he hasn't earned a spot back in in the team. So I think their messages everywhere. If you watch the demeanour of Ange Postecoglou in the press conference today, you get a chance. It's be on the web somewhere. Uh, he he just seemed like a steaming angry man, uh, a, a bloke who is just not settling for players who are just going to get a job done. He's got his sights on doing well at the Confederations Cup, and when they do, hopefully qualify for the World Cup, they're there to do some damage too. He doesn't want people just to be happy to get a cap. And I think he mentioned the term accumulating caps today. So it, it just seems like he's in the mood to shake things up a bit. And that's why I love, you know, Mustafa Amini's earned his spot in the squad, uh, as is Beige also playing well in Turkey. Uh, Ryan Edwards, a player who's playing in Scotland at the moment uh, for Partick Thistle, uh, a young guy, 23-year-old, suddenly he comes out of nowhere. Ryan Grant, the fullback for Sydney, uh, you know, doing so well. James Jego getting regular game time in Austria at the moment. Uh, Awema Bill, who's, uh, who's a guy who, a young, super talented player, but when he went over to Europe, not 
you know, didn't settle too easily, but now he's starting to find his feet. He's in the squad. So Matty Mackay is, uh, you know, obviously a veteran, but a guy who has earned his spot back in. Of course, uh, Troisi, Vukovic, and uh, and Reese Williams is a really interesting one. Yeah, because he fell out uh, mm. quite badly in Perth yeah. with uh, the coach there, and um, it looked like for a while that he was not going to play for Perth Court again. But the last month and a half, he's been brilliant. He's been he's fantastic. Been the squad. In the three-all draw on the weekend, I thought some of the stuff he did for Perth, uh, playing out of the, a deep-lying midfield and pushing forward, was terrific. And and I think Edge has always been wanting to bring him back. Now, he's the sort of player that won't be there just for as a squad player and be happy. He'll be pushing for a first-team spot, and that's what Edge needs. Well, he was marked for a while there, Reese Williams, wasn't he? Is that great... Hope at centre back before those injuries yeah. kicked in. He was captain at Middlesbrough and uh, never really was able to shake off those injury concerns. So let's hope mm. he does get back to something like full fitness. And and what do you see him pairing with Trent Sainsbury in the middle of that defence? They might even play him at right back because uh, Reese has played at full back before. Um, they've got uh, uh, Bailey Wright, who Ange likes as a as a bloke who either plays in as a starting player or as a backup player. So they may go with a Sainsbury and a, and a Bailey Wright with uh, Reese William at, at full back uh, with the licence to get forward and, and uh, cause some damage going uh, on the right side there. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. Whatever he does, people will speculate, and he tends to do what people don't expect. And that's what I like about what Ange is doing. So yeah, then no one's allowed to get comfortable, and he's made that quite clear. Nine four two nine eleven sixteen. What did you make of the Socceroos squad? Uh, and uh, where do they sit at the moment? Third in the group, a poor performance in Thailand, where they drew against a, a, a modest Thai team. Let's face it. And maybe that ten day camp that he had prior to yeah. the game in Thailand gave him an inkling that something wasn't right with the, the dynamic in the group. And this is the first chance he's had to respond to that. Yeah, I I, I heard you speak. I think with Lisa Alexander about being in that environment, a very hot environment for a 10-day period, players waiting and training hard, waiting. Obviously, it was an intense 10 days because there was a bit of a catch-up, a bed, a bedrock of work was being done there, uh, and they were all very focused. By the time the game came around, maybe they'd played the game in their heads a few times, and maybe that's uh, the point it, of... Maybe the dis- it felt secondary to the yeah. events of what the training camp was Yeah, about. and maybe that... Maybe that he may sense in reviewing that game there might have been some complacency there. So um, and I'm not I can't re- I don't, I just I think Millie Edenak is a, is a player now playing good football there at Aston Villa and I'm not sure whether he's been at his best either. But uh, I, well, he wasn't at his best. Or he hasn't been yeah. at his best for the Socceroos in the last three or four outings. Yeah. I'm still wondering in this squad where goals are coming from. We still don't have an out-and-out yeah. striker in this squad, and that, that worries me. We well, I mean, Juric is the best one we've got as an out-and-out striker. He's starting to score goals after a long injury layoff uh, in Switzerland where he's there with Lazoon. He knocked back a chance to go to Reading in the UK. So uh, he's also also thinking of you know quite smartly about him getting back and getting to regular game time. But he's as close. If you can get him um, sort of playing regular football, he's as close to that target man we need uh, to you know, to be able to share the ball or bring other people into the game and maybe finish uh, with some bullocking work up up the top of the uh, the sort of the tree there. So, uh, but it's not enough just having one. He's injury injury prone also. But you know, I don't think Ange has been all too worried about that because it's not like we not like international football unless you're Germany or whatever. You don't play with two up front anyway. All your stuff's coming from midfield. We're quite strong in that area. You don't have a Rogic, but then again, Rogic hasn't been playing well for us in the role he's played. Uh, it, it hasn't the, quite worked for him, no. Moy and Luongo, has it, in that no. triumvirate midfield? They haven't found a way to to play together yet. It, it's it's exciting on paper. 
the po- the possibilities are really exciting. But we saw against uh, Japan. Oh, he got uh, torn apart. Uh, yeah, it was just they just couldn't service him. He had no room to move. The Japanese played really well uh, to combat him, and we really struggled because we couldn't go through Tommy Rogic. So we always had to go wide. So I don't think that's a huge loss. It might sound weird saying that, but someone like a Moy Troisi, who who is so clever at breaking people down, different type of player than uh, Rogic, and uh, and you know uh, Luongo, who's now I think after a couple of weeks out at. QPR, you know, out of favour. He's now back playing some uh, decent football. So, uh, and Mark Milligan's always great. I, I just think we've got a lot of great options in that midfield, and I think that's where it's got to come from, rather than worrying about who's going to score, you know, as a striker. So we go to play in Iran. Last time we played there would have been in October of 1997. 97, yes. Glory days. Yeah. Would you believe the... Uh, I actually, 16-year-old Harry Kuehl yes. scoring. Yeah, yep. and Mark Bosnich was in goals, and... Uh, and uh, we had, uh, what uh, I can't remember, the, the, the centre-halves were uh, Stevie Horvat, I think, Milan Ivanovic. We had Robbie Slater playing in those days. boys were in that team. Yeah, uh, Craig Foster. So I was actually watching a, a few of the highlights of those games uh, not too well, long you're ago. You're a brave man. Oh, look, you know, it's, just, you know, it's funny, funny you raise this because watching the 1997 game at the MCG, I thought, if you watch the first half in particular, that was the best half of football uh, Australia I think, have ever played. Ooh, that's a yeah, good call. It, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty close to a full 45 minutes where we were so dominant in an important game of football with, with some of our great players. With uh, Ned Zellich was in that squad. And, and Stan Lazaridis, I think, that night there as a left back, uh, and people I'm sure out there would remember this, I thought that was probably the best performance by a player, by any Australian player, okay, uh, that, you know, with the exception of Tim Cale when he came on and scored a couple of goals against Japan in the World Cup. But... As a, as a full 45 minutes from an a, a outfield player, I thought that was as good a performance as I've seen any Australian player have. That Stan Lazaridis playing that night in that first 45 minutes. Just grab the video and watch it. Uh, Up to when? Up to about... Uh, half time. <laughs> half time. <laughs> actually, no, it was about 70, 70 minutes. 70 minutes. Because yeah, we were completely dominant. And we, we grow to hate Aurelio Vidmar in that game too because he scored one, but he missed about seven clear-cut chances too. So, you know, it was a bit of a bittersweet there. We'll never hate it. Really and we had Viduka in that team, by the way, oh. and uh, Arnold came off the bench to play. I mean, was, we had some of our greatest. We talk about the Golden Generation 2005. That team there had Mark some... Mark 1, Golden Generation oh. 1.0. And Viduka when he was young, Harry Kuehl when he was a kid. I mean, really. And uh, I, I'm not sure whether uh, Ocon was actually playing in that team where he's just uh, injured, but he was in his prime at that time too. So, oh. great team, but we Horrible just... night. I have a listen to this. Carlos Alberto Diego's with us. Clint Bolton, uh, who's part of the 1116 SEN commentary team on A-League. I was talking about Sydney FC, who brushed aside Melbourne Victory again uh, for the third time this season uh, on the weekend, and he reckons they're the best going around. After 22 games, they are clearly the best team the A-League has ever seen. Results-wise, uh, the stats, I'm sure, would back that up. Clearly the best team. That Brisbane Raw team that won in an 11-team uh, season in 2010, I think it was. And Sydney, with three less matches in this season, could actually eclipse that. That's how good they're going. There you go. So, point Best to- team ever? Uh, look, I'd like to see them do it over three years. I mean, under, under Ange Postacoglu's reign, that Brisbane team was just brilliant over three years. And, uh, yeah, I know that different number of teams and, you know, obviously probably different levels of, you know, restrictions on them and stuff like that. But, you know, you've got to remember this Sydney team was diabolical last year. I mean, Graham Arnold nearly lost his job at the end of last year. 
I mean, they're all hanging on, you know, by the skin of their teeth as far as their contract's concerned. Uh, there was some real soul-searching at the end of the year, and uh, and somehow it's all come together. And they picked up Josh Berlanti, who I think has made a huge difference to the middle of the park. Uh, Brandon O'Neill got a great young player here. I'm surprised he's not getting the look in for the Socceroos at the moment. So they've got their good players playing. Ninkovic is, you know, best player in the league at the moment with Castro, and Holosko's doing a job for them as their marquee. So, look, it's come together this year, but do it over three years, and I, I might start contemplating what uh, Clint Bolton... Can anybody beat them in the finals? They're not going to lose the Premier's plate. Oh, yeah. It, like, it's a one-off. I mean... Uh, They've beat Melbourne Victory three times. Yeah, yeah, but Melbourne City beat him in the final, uh, in the FFA Cup final. So anything can happen in the final system. It could still knock out sudden death. Uh, but in the league, they're clearly the best side. And uh, even if they got knocked out in the first week of the finals, I'd still say they're the best side in the competition uh, because of the fact that they've done it over over the marathon rather than... It's hard, hard to believe in City, though, isn't it? Because they scored three and they still conceded two uh, against all, uh, the Mariners look, and they were all over the shop at the back. Right now, with Volcanus and the boys uh, looking after that team, it's all about just getting the three points and getting your position in maybe a home final uh, in the final series. But they were awful on the weekend. You know, uh, Central Coast Mariners... Um, they had their chances to win that game. And after being 2-0 down, um, they were awful, uh, Melbourne City. But they got the three points and good on them. And that's all they need to do right now. I think for the sake of the coaching staff there, they've got to keep on clocking over the points so the players still have belief. If they start losing those sort of games, I fear for the coaching staff because they're, they're inexperienced and there's a feel that they're only there for a caretaker role anyway. 9-14, your uh, views on the A-League and where it sits at the moment as we head into the final stretch of home and away games before the finals. Uh, the other aspect in uh, local football, FFA put the kibosh on, on expansion in the near term. They were supposed to be releasing last month yep. their terms of reference for any expansion clubs, what they're going to need to do, what benchmarks are going to have to meet, what standards in terms of finances. And they said, nah, I'm not going to yep. do that now. But still, people want to put out <laughs> bids and put together consortiums and say, hey, we're ready to go. Yeah, Les Murray and Craig Foster are fronting a, a Chinese consortium, a multi-billionaire you know, property development company in China. And they came out a week after the FFA made it quite clear that they're going to delay this. So I don't know what the – I just don't know what the, you know, what the whole – purpose of them coming out this week and making such a big stand. Maybe they they'll caught off guard. They had it all ready. They'll do it anyway. Um, but really, at this stage, Francis, I was joking with you off air about, you know, why don't me and you put together a bid and let's just say we've got, you know, some really wealthy Hungarians who want to put, you know, you know, 10 billion into a stadium in Where Footscray. Where are we going to build it? In Footscray. Footscray Park. Yeah, Footscray Park, it'll be fine. And uh, but you know, he's going to make us accountable now. Anyone can put, anyone can speak big about a bid right now. But when the criteria comes out, and you're saying you're going to build a $100 million or $200 million stadium in your area, you're going to be made accountable for that. So, um, and that's what you know, the Craig Foster and uh, Les Murray bid. And there's a lot of arguments too, by the way, over whether that should be a, a South Sydney bid or a Wollongong bid. Well, let's have a listen. I spoke with Les Murray about it. I had a bit of quick chat to him. I asked him about the bid, where it's going to be placed, and, and why Sydney needs a third team. Well, it doesn't have an A-League club. And it's a vast region... Uh, three regions actually put together. Uh, the southern reaches of Sydney, so it's St George, Sutherland Shire, and the Illawarra, the south coast area, uh, all the way down to the Shoalhaven district. It's a huge population base with a deep, deep history in football. You don't feel like you'd be cannibalising the other two established A-League clubs by having a third club in that area? 
No. I mean, Sydney FC may well have fans in this region, but I wouldn't say that they would have the majority of fans. You know, the fans that they have will not change anyway. I mean, that's, you know, the nature of the beast. You can change your wife, but you can't change your football club. How many clubs do you reckon the A-League can feasibly hold and be commercially successful and viable with? And should promotion and relegation be the ultimate end game here that we get to a stage where we can do that? I think 14 or even 16 is a good number. Uh, I think the, the A-League can accommodate that many teams in, in our market. In terms of promotion and relegation, we don't have it at the moment. I, I understand why we don't have it, but I don't, uh, I don't believe it's a good thing because it, it rewards mediocrity. And in, in, a, in a sense, expansion and the readiness to expand is an alternative to promotion and relegation, certainly to promotion. So, because expansion, if you say to the clubs, you're about to expand, you will expand, you're ready to admit new clubs, that, uh, that serves to keep the, uh, the clubs honest, which are not reinvesting in the game uh, that they should. They're not, not particularly ambitious. They don't invest in players. And they're happy to finish, you know, in the bottom three. So there's no peril, is there, to being bottom of the A-League? You just get the front up again next year. Les Murray talking about the Southern Sydney bid that they've put yeah. together. Yeah, look, uh, it sounds like I don't know Sydney all that well as far as, you know, where the hotbeds are. I think West Sydney's shown that there's one there. People are saying now, people in the game are saying in Sydney that South Sydney or the southern part of Sydney is another hotbed. The so, Shire. Yeah, so, but then there's, but there's some arguments going on whether that should be a standalone club in Wollongong playing out of Wynn Stadium oh, or whether you like should have... Like the glory have, days. Yeah, well... Scott Chipperfield the and the thing is, Yeah, the problem is, you know, they've had their chance and the best they could do on their really great days, 10,000 people at the stadium. Now, I know that was in the old NSL and things are different now. The platforms are different. The marketing's different. But, uh, but look, I'll leave it up to the people who are experts about the city geography and, and all the numbers about where players are and the registered players and the, and the kids and stuff like that. I'll leave that to the experts and let's, make, let's hope that they make the right decision about where that's going to go. And our bid, we'll get some uh, wealthy Hungarians. It's going to be a salami yeah, revolution. Yeah, yes, apparently we're getting uh, Hungarian salami offers uh, on, on uh, the SMS. So, Francis, let's get going. Let's put this bid together. <laughs> maybe, maybe our listeners and us can come together and put a bid S-E-N-F-C. Absolutely. Let's bring it together. No, let, let, let the listeners work out what the name's going to be. You know, if, if <laughs> so, we haven't... If what's the next week we can work out the name for our team? And then you if we have one in Belan, it could be AC Belan. <laughs> We're going to have uh, Baronia <laughs> Monchengladbach. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few very good ones good. we can think about. So. Yeah, that's very good indeed. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Carlos.